there's a situation that comes to you that is unprecedented, begin to try to solve it by seeing what principle applies. Is, it, is, is there an absence of love in this equation? Is there an absence of truth in this equation? Or is there an absence of integrity in this equation? You realize, oh, this is actually a cultural issue. This team doesn't have a culture around caring about their customer enough, or this team doesn't have a culture around high quality. Um, and you often find that some of your like difficult, most difficult problems are culture issues that you need to come at from a culture perspective and not from a like metrics, like a metrics only perspective. Working together from a who's hanging from 70 feet or dealing with weather conditions or you're on a road with traffic, right? You're working with people that you trust and you know that you're with a company that's going to take care of you. That's how you nurture the culture and use it as a lever. The things in life that we're most proud of accomplishing are hard. And, and so I think as, as the lesson I've learned is that we can't be afraid of, of embracing the heart and, and highlighting it and talking about it and pushing people to, to accomplish great things as opposed to this fearful mindset of, oh, I have to make it easy, otherwise my team will leave. The war for workers has never in my lifetime been this fervent and one of the most important weapons in this war is workplace culture. When I had my company, culture meant beanbag chairs, a climbing wall, an office cat, and a foosball table. Right? Culture is so much more, and it's being constructed deliberately. There is no one way, no one right way for this. Uh, and so for this episode, I've invited four Colorado leaders from different kinds of companies, all known for having cultures that attract and retain top talent. It may turn out to be a chaotic mess. We're going to give it a try anyway. I found that some of the best ideas arise from outside what we think as our kind of business. So I'm going to encourage you all, panelists, audience, to look for one solid idea from each of these kinds of companies that might not feel natural initially, but really has sparked some creativity. Uh, and, and so here we go. I'm going to introduce our panel first. Uh, Anthony Lombados, the coach of footers, uh, one of Colorado's most loved and successful catering companies. Anthony, thanks for being here. Thank you, Dave. Uh, at the end, Mary Moore Simmons, VP of Engineering and AgentSync, one of Colorado's newest unicorn software companies growing at an amazing pace. Thanks, Mary. Yeah, thank you. Bill Grable, who's CEO of Grable Companies, a company that helps clients with international team member logistics. Bill, thanks. And Alejandra Harvey, CEO of Tendit. She's a med student turned entrepreneur running a collection of what I thought was five companies. Now it's like nine companies doing everything from road striping to window washing. So thanks for being with us, Alejandra. Thanks for having me. So let's start with this. Let's start with each of you giving a quick overview of what your business does and follow that with a concise sort of overarching theme that you would use to describe your culture or your approach to culture. So Anthony, let's start with you and then we'll just kind of zip on down. Uh, 
<laughs> All right. So uh, my wife and I own Footers Catering. We're a full-service catering company, so we don't do drop-off catering. It's all event-based where our staff is there um, catering to the needs, whether it's weddings, corporate galas, uh, nonprofit fundraisers, those types of things. Uh, and then we also have our event center, Social Capital. So that is our, our business. We've got about 50 full-time employees and then uh, a little over 100 part-time employees that, uh, that, that just do an incredible job. Uh, when I think about culture, I, I appreciate what you said, Dave, about the, the, the beanbag chairs and the foosball tables, because I, I think for me, we've really been trying to move the culture conversation away from, from just perks and benefits. Uh, and so when I think about a, a concise way to, to look at culture, for me, uh, our culture is about people doing work that they care about, that is meaningful to, to them, and doing it with people that they respect and they love and they trust. Um, and it's the third part of our mission statement, which is to create exceptional experiences for our clients and their guests. And our team is really passionate about that and doing it with people that they, they like I said, love and respect. Thank you. And, and just so you know, I've, I've encouraged the panel not to go sequentially down the line as we do this discussion, except now. I'm going to go to Alejandra next, and then Bill, and then Mary. Go ahead, Alejandra. Am I allowed to say ditto? Um, and if you haven't tried Footer's short rib, I think it's some of the best out there. So it's delicious. Thank They've you. done a lot, a lot of events for us, and we've had a great time. So thanks. Uh, Alejandra Harvey with Tendit. So Tendit is a conglomeration of eight different companies in Utah, Phoenix, and Colorado. And we are essentially hoping to be the one-stop shop for your exterior facility services. So landscaping, paving, striping, pressure washing, essentially whatever you need on the outside of the building, we can do that. Uh, and with 250 employees in over three states, I think we're headed in that direction. Uh, and when I think about culture, what's super important to me, if you've ever read the book Dreamcatcher, it's about helping people fulfill their dreams. Being an employer is not about offering a job anymore. It's how can I help you buy your first house? How can I help send your kids to college? It's about taking care of the person as a whole rather than just an employee. So that's what drives us every day. Thank you. Bill. Good evening. My name is Bill Grable, and I serve as the chair and CEO of the Grable Companies, which um, is a global relocation management organization serving basically Fortune 500 uh, companies. And so whether it's an intern, a new hire, all the way up to the C-suite as they get relocated from one location to another, uh, we're kind of their one-stop shop with assisting on the moving um, part of the equation, but also home finding, home selling, uh, visa immigration work, uh, pet transport, school enrollment, you know, everything to parachute basically into a new marketplace and have your family and its lifestyle kind of reemerge. Um, in the course of this year, we'll relocate about 120,000 families to or from or within about 165 countries. So it's a lot of moving parts. And culture, what's your overarching theme of culture? Well, we've kind of reverse engineered it. Being a service industry, your customer's experience is only going to be as good as your employee's experience. So we put a lot of emphasis on trying to be an employer of choice. And then to believe that I have all those answers would be wrong. Uh, so you have to have engaging conversations with your workforce, what's important to them, what are they per passionate about. Um, and I think it, it really begins with your articulation of what is your company's purpose? Call it your mission and vision. And once you have that established, then you really have to have the pillars of your values. And in order for a culture to take root, those values have to be on display and they're prominently 
look to from a leadership point of view, are the leaders actually exemplifying the behaviors that they espouse in their value statement? Yeah, we're gonna come back to that as soon as we go to Mary. Uh, hi, I'm Mary uh, Moore Simmons. I'm the head of engineering at a software startup called AgentSync. Uh, we provide uh, software to insurance companies in order to modernize their business. A lot of insurance companies haven't adopted a lot of new softwares yet in order to improve their business processes or in order to make their lives easier. So we're out there trying to trying to make their lives better. Um, and yeah, on on culture. I really want to echo what Bill said around, around really being clear about what your culture is, um, having your clear cultural values, being concise about that. Um, and then I also want to mention that the, the overarching theme that I often think about is collaboration and intentionality. So culture is created by everyone in the organization. Um, people, when you're working at a high growth software startup, you really want, I mean, this is, everybody wants the best talent, right? But you really want the best talent, you want the strongest people, and they have the, they have the pick of any company they, they want. Um, and so you want to bring them into the conversation and, and, and work collaboratively to define the culture with them and then make it really clear and then set expectations around it um, and then constantly revisit it. Yeah. Thank you for that intro. So here's, you know, what comes to mind as you're saying that. I mean, by the way, past guest, some of you may know Brian Egan, who uh, as CEO of Evolve, but he describes culture as his heaviest lever in running the business. You know, as you're describing culture, I mean, it's still, it still feels like nebulous. So when you think about culture, when you think about something specific that you do to make culture feel like a lever of running your company, what comes to mind? For us, Dave, it's around duty of care, and there are multiple facets of duty of care that, that we have to try to orchestrate and integrate. Um, and it really starts with your workforce, because again, your workforce is gonna provide discretionary effort that translates to the experiences your customers have. And um, so, uh, we're very intentional on, on trying to be that employer of choice and being accountable for acting on what folks are telling us, and then we know we can translate that into executable services that hopefully then please customers. Well, I remember, I remember hearing from you one time, Bill, that you actually search for employees, not based on their current skills, but based on their, uh, what you detect as their sense of caring, right? Talk about that and where that fits into your culture. No doubt. You know, this is a very micro niche industry, so there aren't a lot of relocation professionals running around out there. And so, but there are some adjacencies, you know, people that work in hospice is one example, extreme uh, circumstances that they're dealing with in person every single day. Um, you know, dealing with special needs children, uh, generally speaking, healthcare workers, um, they make really good uh, employment candidates for our kind of industry, um, hospitality industry as well. So what we're really looking for is a caregiver mindset that then can be taught the various processes and procedures and tools and whatnot uh, that we go in terms of orchestrating and, and uh, arranging services for people as they relocate. Yeah, how, how, do you other, how do the others feel about using culture as a lever? Yeah, I think it can be a, a massive lever for 
uh, improving the way that your business works together. There's so many problems that you run into as a leader that if you think about them deeply, you realize, oh, this is actually a cultural issue. This team doesn't have a culture around caring about their customer enough, or this team doesn't have a culture around high quality. Um, and you often find that some of your like difficult, most difficult problems are culture issues that you need to come at from a culture perspective and not from a like metrics, like a metrics only perspective or a, yeah. Yeah, but when we think about culture, we often think about how a, an employee feels about being at a company, mm -hmm. not about how an employee is treating their customer, right? Uh -huh. What do you? Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a great that's a great call out. So um, they're, they're 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 both right. It's 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 obviously both. There's there's thinking about how uh, someone feels about their company, um, how they like to work with other people. But um, this is there's a there's a saying in software that you ship your org chart. Um, so so if you have three different software teams building three different products, and you ship that those products built by three different teams, it feels like three different products. If you have everyone on one team, it feels like a more unified product. So what do you do specifically at AgentSync so that those teams feel the same when the product gets shipped? Yeah, this is really interesting. So, uh, and we're now getting in the weeds, sorry. But uh, um, what we do at AgentSync is we have, we have guilds and teams. So we have teams of people that work on specific products, and we do that intentionally because we want every engineer to really understand their customer really deeply and really empathize with their customer really deeply, and our different products are serving different types of customers. But then we want the, the different features to really feel cohesive, and so we have, a, for example, a, a guild of engineers that work on the front end of the product, and they work on shared components so that the look and feel of the product still feels unified. And somehow the culture comes through as they do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so, uh, so, so yeah. So if a team works together really cohesively, like I'll give an example of actually a, a previous company I worked at. I had a team whose uh, they had a cultural value of whimsy, um, and when you went uh, on their uh, the, when you used their feature and you like completed a step, like confetti dropped down uh, from the top of the page, being like, "Yeah, you did a thing." Um, and so there's when you define a cultural value in a team, it shows through in the product that they're creating. Cool, Alejandro, your people are way different. I mean, they could be hanging by ropes a hundred feet up, right? <laughs> I mean, how does this talk about culture? You know what? What Mary just said about cohesion is, I mean, how does that work when you're on a scaffold? You know, I think saying culture as a lever kind of starts with the foundation of culture and what does it mean and living by it. And there's the non-negotiables, right? So being a honest company, taking care of your people, um, being on the straight and narrow. And I think many times in construction, you're afforded opportunities where you don't have to do that, right? And I think as a company, we have decided that we're always going to go above and beyond and we're going to do the right thing. When you do that time and time again, you're going to find people that exhibit the same values that you do. And you're going to come together with values of those kinds of folks. And so working together from a hanging from 70 feet or dealing with weather conditions or you're on a road with traffic, right? You're working with people that you trust and you know that you're with a company that's going to take care of you. That's how you nurture the culture and use it as a lever um, and an advantage. Yeah. Anthony, did you want to add something? Yeah, I, I mean, for, for me, when I think about the lever, 
Uh, a long time ago, I learned the lesson that fun and productivity uh, aren't two separate things. Like they can actually go hand in hand. And, and when people are having fun at work, they're actually more productive. And, and so I think that that's something that we've always embraced. I mean, what we do is is not easy. You know, we're going into a field where there's nothing and there's a tent set up and we have to figure out how to serve 300 people a plate of dinner and, and create this kitchen. And, and the conditions aren't necessarily ideal. Uh, and so when we talk about this idea that... The, there's a uh, among caterers it's the, the caterers are the navy seals of the, the hospitality industry and and so when we embrace that that like what we do is not easy but it's rewarding and it's challenging and we attract people that that look at that and say i'm up for that challenge that sounds fun i want to be a part of it and, and when they're doing it with people that they like um the the relationships is something that we invest a lot of time in making sure that there's good relationships among our team and it doesn't mean they all have to be best friends but when we know each other and respect who, who one another are, all of a sudden it's a different story when we come to work and we're more patient with one another, we're more understanding, and, and, and we start to have a lot of fun. And when we're having fun, the customer feels that. I, I can't tell you how many people come to me and they're like, oh, your team is just such, so amazing. And I think I take it for granted sometimes uh, of just the experience that, that our clients get when our team comes to work and they're excited. It's not this like, oh, gosh, i got to go to work today. And I think about all the times, like, when, when, when was the last time you served terrible customer service and you're like, man, I bet that person really loves their job. <laughs> like, right? Like, like it, doesn't, it, it doesn't exist. When people love their job, it exudes in the, in the yeah. service they provide. So. Thank you. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of uh, work, you're listening to Proco 360, named Best Denver Podcast, three years running, and Best Colorado Business Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. My guests today are Alejandra Harvey of Tendit, Mary Moore Simmons of Agent Sync, Bill Grable of Grable Companies, and Anthony Lombados of Footers Catering. Thanks to our sponsors. Kinsley Meetings, if you need help running your business meetings, call Steve and Allison at Kinsley Meetings. Also, yes, thank you guys. Also, Clint, the team of Via Technologies, thanks for hosting Proco 360. I know it's a ton of data. I appreciate you guys keeping it going. Um, and just, uh, I'll let you all know, I just signed an agreement today for a partnership with Colorado Biz Magazine. That's super cool and exciting, so watch for more on that. Yep. Go to Proco. 360.com and check out all of the sponsors. And I want to, and Sean, I'm going to give you a heads up here because I want to play a clip in just a second. Um, one of the challenges that we're all facing is this disconnection that has come. Uh, and Anthony, you're talking about let's be, let's get along. All of you have talked about uh, collaboration. The, the great reconnection is a term that was uh, in a post written by Laisha Ward. Uh, she contends some people have been quitting jobs because they don't feel a sense of belonging at work, I'm listening to a book which really has no relevance on this at all, but it made me think, it's called The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. And uh, this clip made me think of tonight. So Sean, would you play that please? If your job is to build cars, there is little you can do when you're not on the assembly line. You detach from work and leave your tools in the factory. But if your job is to create a marketing campaign, a thought-based and decision job, your tool is your head, which never leaves you. You might be thinking about your project during your commute, as you're making dinner, while you're putting your kids to sleep, and when you wake up stressed at three in the morning. So my question is, with so many knowledge workers who are using their brains basically all the time, I see one of, I see pointing back there. <laughs> you know, I mean, how do you manage culture when so much of people's work and their, their mental focus on their job 
isn't at work at all. I think we're still figuring that one out. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll jump in here. I, 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 there was something I, I stumbled upon years ago, and, and it was uh, this idea that the, the brain can't differentiate rejection from death, like the fear of those two things, and it treats it the same, that, that we fear death in the same way we fear rejection. That's how powerful the, it is and, and how important it is for people to have a sense of belonging. And so for us, we have one of our convictions that we talk about, and it's value people for more than the job they do. And what that means to us is that, that when somebody comes to work, we want to invite the full person to come to work. I don't, I don't think we open the door and professional Anthony all of a sudden appears and personal Anthony stays behind. If, if my life at home is in shambles, it's probably going to impact how I show up at work and vice versa. And so when, when we think about it, we want to respond to the needs of each individual employee. And that's very difficult to do. It takes a lot of work. And I think it's why a lot of companies don't do it. And it's not about giving people a free pass or, you know, saying, oh, you don't have to do that, that project. It's, okay, you're dealing with this. When can you do that project? Or are there other people that will step in and help you do it now so you can respond to whatever it is you need to respond to in your life? And knowing that when the tables are turned, you're going to come back and work twice as hard on something else and help somebody else when they're, they're in need. So, so for us, I, I think it, it really is about this idea of, of what do people need at different times. And I'll give one quick example. You know, we had two employees that were going through, through a divorce. And one wanted to double down on work and be here more often and have extra projects and take that down because she wanted the distraction. And the other one needed time away. To, to go and be with her family. And so those are the same scenario. You can't write the playbook on, like, here's how we deal with this. It's what do you need at, at any given time, and how do you respond to that in a way that helps them and also supports the business? I think that's uh, really well said. You know, there's a coffee shop in Commerce City that has a waiting list to work there. And it's not just for the free coffee, I found out. Um, there's about 12 to 15 people on the waiting list to work there, and it's because when you've interviewed them, it's because they treat them as a person, and they take care of their whole being. And that might not be coming to work this day, or I want to take this trip to Africa, or I, wa I want to learn Spanish. Can you help me find a course to do that? And this coffee shop is taking it upon themselves to do all of these things for their staff, so much so that now there's a waiting list of people that want to work there and serve coffee. So how do we become more individualistic for all of our employees. You know, I love to be in the office with all my folks. That's what fills my battery. But some folks, you know, they have kids at home and they want a couple days here and a couple days there. So how do we meet their needs so that we can be better for the entire organization and for them? And they'll be way more productive and happier that way. So do you, do you think, you know, that you could call that cultural or you could call it tactical? In this marketplace where people are using culture as a method to compete, you know, I, I, to what extent do you feel like you use your culture as a way to compete for talent versus it's just what we are and who we are and we pull in the people who we who align? I think it's both. I mean, I think that there's there's definitely in a in a high uh, competition market. I'm sure all of us know there's a high competition market for talent right now. Uh, use it as both. It's it's we care about you as a whole person. We want to take care of you as a whole person. Um, and look at us creating this culture that you want to be in. When people ask me, I do a lot of interviewing, and I, the, the question I get asked a lot is, why did you join AgentSync? Um, and I said, 
There's a product that I love and that I believe in and I think is going to succeed, and the culture here is amazing. You're going to be solving hard problems, and you're going to be solving them with cool people. Um, you're going to come to work every day, and you're going to be really happy um, that, you're, that you're getting to do this fun, uh, fun work with other people that you like to work with. And so it's like, it, it is absolutely a competitive differentiator, um, but it is, also a, it is also a way of being that allows you to be better as an organization and serve your customers better. So do you find you're using it consciously as a tool, you know, I mean, does that actually even change how it feels if you're using it as a tool? I mean, I think that like being conscious about, about where, I mean, if you're, if you're trying to be like a good person in the world, even you're, you're being conscious about the way that you show up in the world and the way that you interact with others. And I think just because you're being conscious about it doesn't make it, doesn't like reduce from it. It makes it richer. I'm sure I'm curious what other people yeah. think. I 100% agree. I mean, being deliberate about it, I mean, it's, it's like anything else in your business. This is what we're going to choose to focus on, and, and I don't think that takes away from the, the sanctity of it. As long as it's actually authentic, right, yes. and you really mean oh, it, yes. and we follow through with it rather than just a tool to get more people. You know, for us, Dave, it's definitely a tool, and it's a conscious uh, strategy to bring our values to life. Um, and so those values very specifically are truth, love, and integrity. And I discovered that, I came to that conclusion as I was trying to figure out how do we engagingly lead, for example, our team in Prague. And when we first opened in Prague, we had about 25 employees. And there were Poles and Russians and, you know, Slavics um, and Hungarians and a whole melting pot, Right. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, half of these people hated each other for the last three generations. <laughs> and you know, the bias that they bring into the workplace looking at a coworker is, is something significant and needs to be overcome. If just in Prague, we're gonna have a cultural identity that's aligned with our goals and, and consistent. It took on a second dimension of difficulty when we opened up in Singapore because then we had an even different kind of melting pot between Hindus and Muslims and Filipino Christians and, um, gosh, just such a different group of, of people. And then, obviously, that's completely contrasted with, if you will, the workforce norms, expectations, employee value propositions, all of that that you would find here in the U.S. So we've kind of used each to reinforce um, the commonality, the common denominator of what people are looking for in their lives, in their politicians, in their clergy, in their bosses, is more truth, love, and integrity in their actions, their behaviors. And um, so we're super intentional about that in the sense that judge us based upon seeing those values on display. Having said that, that's kind of created this differentiator, at least in our industry, yeah, I want to ask you a follow-on question about the the uh, that four-letter word you used right after I thank listeners again for uh, joining Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This episode on deliberate culture is with Bill Grable of Grable Companies, Alejandro Harvey of Tendit, Mary Moore Simmons of AgentSync, and Anthony Lombados of Footers Catering. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. So, Bill... Uh, the word love at work, how does that come together for you? Well, I think it's a foundational principle of life, um, A. B, <laughs> it's the roots in the ground. And, and think of it as a tree, and there are many manifestations of love if you look for it. 
Um, so, you know, it could be kindness, it could be empathy, it could be respect. Um, and so we talk about all of those things. Um, where we really use the values, you know, in, in at least our setting, there are lots of times things don't go according to the roadmap or the processes that are mapped out. And so, you know, you can do one of two things. You can micromanage your workforce or you can empower your workforce. And uh, we choose the empowerment path. But the, to frame the, the answer here, Dave, we say if there's a situation that comes to you that is unprecedented, begin to try to solve it by seeing what principle applies. Is, it, is, is there an absence of love in this equation? Is there an absence of truth in this equation? Or is there an absence of integrity in this equation? And then you're empowered to fill that void in whatever it takes in dealing with a customer, a supplier, um, or a coworker. Alejandra, you're bringing all these companies together. You're acquiring companies. You know, I was going to ask everyone, but I'm going to ask you specifically. Is your culture being developed deliberately? Or is this, you know, sort of a hodgepodge coming together and then you got to just try to make it work? It's really interesting because I, I think my owners, the PE firm out of Florida, Osceola Capital, has done a really beautiful job of finding owners and companies that care about their people, that care about their product. And I think that's really important when bringing eight companies together and finding that there's maybe a little bit of fear that we're different and actually we're very much alike. We want to find a place of belonging with creativity. We want to put down a product that makes our customers happy and we want to be a great employer. So I've actually found it's much easier than I thought it was going to be um, just by bringing to light what they already have as a foundation, who they already are, and how can we work together to become one company. I mean, we fight a little bit about are we just going to be tended or are we going to be all of our individual names, right? So we don't want to lose our um, individualism, but how do we value both of those and recognize and celebrate both of those and, and come together? It's a work in progress. Anthony, to what extent do you feel like your culture was pre-established versus sort of developing it, cultivating it, morphing it, and so forth as you went? Oh, it was... Uh... The, oh, how do I say this? The, the, the culture when we purchased the company from my dad was, was night and day what it, what it is now. We, 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 my dad did an incredible job because I had this whole dream to bring restaurant quality food and service to, to catered events. Um, and, and there's countless stories about the, the lengths he would go and still the goes to, to just make guests happy and delight them. Um, but on the flip side, it was you know, yelling and screaming and a lot of just, you know, the, the traditional what you think about from a hospitality industry and kitchens of throwing pots and pans and, uh, and what has, has you know, I, I hate that it has become just the norm and I think we're moving away from that. But traditionally, we haven't done ourselves any favors as an as a industry as a whole. So um, there was a huge shift that we had to undertake when we said, we're going to buy this business and our number one goal, we didn't care about being the biggest caterer. We didn't care about winning awards. We just wanted to build a great place to work. Um, and, and early on, we did a lot of work, and then we said, good, we got there, we got, we got a good culture, and then we went back to catering. And two months later, we looked around, and we're like, 
what happened to our culture? It was so good, and now it's so bad. Like, what, how did it go away so quickly? And it, it was the, the eye-opening moment that I needed to, to understand that culture is not something you work on and then walk away from. Culture is something you focus on every single day, that, that we have to be thinking about it consciously. Of what are we doing? How are we living our values? How are we empowering our teams? How are we, we building a, a place where people come to work they want to be part of? Um, and so we've... Uh, it's evolved immensely, and it continues to evolve. Well, one question. I mean, we're, we're speaking with leaders of companies now, and yet as companies grow, middle management starts to play a more and more important role. How do, what do you do to specifically manage culture through your middle management teams so that what you're so passionate about doesn't get lost somewhere in the translation? I like to include them in the conversation. So it's, and I like to include everyone in the conversation, but it's really important to include those managers in the conversation um, so that they are helping to create the culture. But then um, one thing that we've been doing in agency because we've been, I'm gonna call it operationalizing culture where we, uh, we defined what we want to our culture to be, but then we take a look at where are we at and where do we want it to be and what steps do we wanna take to get there. Um, and I often have managers define those steps, own those steps, and go and go run with it. Um, the other thing we we're talking a lot about about people and how we like to take care of people. Managers are so critical in like the people that you want to take care of. Those are the people that need to be those like full, well-rounded people. Um, I have some very like, honestly, almost like therapist level conversations with my managers about you know how to assume positive intent or like how to handle their anxiety or how to handle their stress that that is way more critical with those managers um, be, because they have such a huge impact on the business yeah other thoughts all right I got another question what is something you've learned in the last year that you feel has materially influenced how you're managing culture now versus how you did it a year or two years ago? One, unique to our exposure, Dave, what we've seen in the last year is the accountability as a supplier to these Fortune 500 companies for legitimately acting on a variety of corporate social responsible uh, actions. And so whether it has to do with the ESG side of things and you know, your greenhouse gas, your reduction of waste and water, um, to, you know, the social side, legitimate efforts around DEI, uh, governance, you know, in terms of um, are you a good corporate citizen in the communities you operate and so forth. Um, there's now real teeth being put into these issues, at least if you're going to be serving the major corporations out there. And things like the recent SEC ruling that's coming out that will standardize the reporting of, um, you know, like greenhouse gas emissions so that an investor can have uh, apples to apples evaluation of how is a company acting on its reduction efforts or not, and then letting the investors make an educated choice. The same is applying with DE&I. So, so these are affecting, at least what I'm hearing you say, is these, these issues are injecting, you're injecting them into your cultural conversations. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Because yeah. that's the landscape in the marketplace right now. And it's becoming increasingly accelerated rate of accountability and measures and, um, that are auditable. Yeah. Other thoughts? I've got one more question in just a moment, and then if you've got questions, you want to come up to the mic. John, you're going to be first, but I've got 
Do you have a comment about that? I, th I think it's a little bit about what I alluded to earlier. Um, there's been this, this push that, that in order to be a great place to work, we have to make work easy. And, and I wholeheartedly disagree with that. If, if we think about the things in life that we're most proud of accomplishing, and you just think of like the two or three things that you're like, I'm really proud I accomplished that. When I ask people, like, was it easy to accomplish that? No one raises their hand, right? Because the things in life that we're most proud of accomplishing are hard. And, and so I think as, as uh, the lesson I've learned is that we can't be afraid of, of embracing the heart and, and highlighting it and talking about it and pushing people to, to accomplish great things as opposed to this fearful mindset of, oh, I have to make it easy, otherwise my team will leave. And, and so I think that's been a huge shift for, for me uh, personally of, of we do hard things and we're going to celebrate it and it's going to be fun and it's going to be great and it's going to be hard. But we're going to be really proud on the other side and keeping that end goal in mind of why we're doing this, um, I think, has been really critical, Cool, especially through COVID. <laughs> cool. Uh, Colorado is home to your companies. You know, that's the thing I'm a fan of, Colorado business, Colorado entrepreneurs. So do you think being in Colorado has an impact on your culture that is different from if you were in some other place? I see a lot of hundred percent. I just I, this is a, a softball here. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of I, I'm a native, so I, I grew up here, uh, and there's a lot of natives that are, are frustrated with how busy it's gotten and how much traffic there is, and kind of you know, get off my lawn. <laughs> like, and, and I have a completely different opinion. I love the fact that people want to be in Colorado. This is a place that people just didn't grow up and feel obligated to be part of, but it's a destination where people are like, that's a cool place. I want to be part of that. And when you have that mentality and this collection of people that are excited to be here, whether it's for the outdoors, whether it's for uh, the weather, whether, you know, whatever it is that they've chosen to be part of this community, I think it's special. And it, 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 it definitely is a, is a big part of why I, I choose to stay here. Cool. Alejandra? Sure. I mean, I think the entrepreneurial spirit in Colorado is alive, right? The opportunity here is endless. But ultimately, I think it comes down to many people are not from Colorado these days. And when they come here, they want to find a home, right? They want to find a place they can call home. And considering you spend 90% of your time at work, right, you should like it and have a great culture and have a great place to be where you can make a difference. And maybe it's the hard things that we're doing, but... We're proud of them. We can see them. And, and with being in construction, we do exactly that, right? So we're guiding you home safely with lines that, if not there, where would we go? <laughs> Thank you. Colorado certainly plays an important part in not only our culture here in our headquarter location, but throughout the rest of the global footprint. We actually moved our headquarters here from a town in northern Wisconsin in 1983, recognizing that Denver itself was a bit of a melting pot. And, you know, I was speaking with one of the guests earlier. You know, East Coast culture is different than West Coast culture, different than Southern culture. Um, and Colorado just seems to take little bits and pieces from each of them. And I think that's helpful in then our efforts to try to orchestrate bits and pieces of Eastern European culture, Southeast Asian culture, Chinese culture, where we have workers in, in each of those locations. Um, so we have the mentality of adapting and integrating multiple kinds of cultures, if you will, into our blended culture. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. 
Um, I, I love what, what Bill called out about, about moving headquarters. Uh, the Agency founders also, they moved from San Francisco to Denver to, to found Agency and to, and to grow Agency. And it's because they really respected the culture here. And I think Alejandro brought up a great point of people, people come here and people come here for the culture. So it's like this beautiful thing where you get to pull from the culture you want and other people are coming here because they like the culture here. Um, there's just like a ton of good heart uh, in, in Colorado um, that I think it makes it that you can like pull people from here. Oh, go ahead, Bill. One of the denominators I think that pull people here is they're, they're rooted to the earth in a way, right? The recreational activity draws a lot of people here. And I may have this bias, but I think people that have an appreciation for the outdoors have an appreciation for things greater than themselves. And if you want to go all the way up, you know, the existence of God. Um, I don't mean to be political or anything like that, but so people tend to have a positive outlook. They tend to be grounded in nature, and they tend to be more welcoming in the sense that there are so many um, people that come from other places into Colorado. So I was mentioning earlier, a market like Boston is really hard to get socially you know, integrated into. Um, it, it's nothing wrong with it. It's just been its own kind of enclave of clans for so long. Um, that structure, if you will, doesn't necessarily manifest itself yeah. here in Colorado. And you found, uh, just, to, just to close that piece of the conversation, you found that the kind of person that's attracted to what you're just describing is a cultural fit for Grable companies. Very much so. You know, you're, again, you're looking for making a contribution on behalf of others, and so that puts you in a kind of a humble mindset, right? Um, that's the business we're in. We're serving others, just like Anthony. And so your, your frontline workers, your managers, your executives, you have to have this like servant mentality in order to succeed, or your customers are gonna think you're just an average business and who needs an average business in any industry niche. Thank you. All right, let's move to some audience Q&A. I wanna start with a, a special guest in the audience, John Garrett, but th for those, anybody else who has a question, we're gonna have time for a couple more, so please come on up. Uh, but John is author of What's Your And, in fact, in fact, I have two copies of this book. I have my own, and I have a new one that has a, uh, an award emblem on it. So congratulations, John. John wrote a book called What's Your And and hosts a podcast of that name. And I wanted to introduce him uh, and tee him up to be, for our first question. John, go ahead. Well, thanks, Dave, and thanks, everyone on here. It's so encouraging to hear what you're saying. Uh, honestly, I'm all over the country, and uh, it's really encouraging to hear. So What's Your And is a philosophy that enables companies to attract and retain talent by building unique cultures that recognize who you are is so much more than just the work you do. Uh, you know, your outside of work interests beyond family. Uh, you're like, who else are you? And, uh, and so I'm curious to ask each of you, uh, first of all, what's your and? And then also, how did you become this kind of leader, uh, how did you become, you know, to think this way, the way that you've been, you know, talking on this panel? To me first. Sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you, John. We have uh, just love, love the book, love what you, what you do, and, uh, and think it applies so much to, to culture. So, um, you know, my and, I love sports. I am a sports junkie. I went to college and got a business degree and thought I wanted to be in sports. 
quickly realized I'm fine just watching sports and I uh, don't need to work in sports. Um, but, but for me, when I think about the, the philosophy, um, it's the idea that, that my, my title is the coach. And when I, I, I grew up never wanting to be in catering, I, I resented the fact that my sister and I, our joke was, if you want to see dad, you go to work. And that was like, that's it. That's where he was. He loved the business. He loved it. And, and I never wanted to be part of it. And I never wanted it. I wasn't passionate about catering. But there was one day I was meeting with a mentor of mine, and, and we basically had this conversation that led me to, I was like, I should have been a college basketball coach. You know, that's really, I missed my calling. That's what I should have done. And we went through this whole list of why. And it, it came down to, he told me, he's like, you can do all that at Footers. And it changed my whole perspective on uh, on my career, that my job wasn't to come and think about what menu we were going to serve or how we were going to execute this event. My job is to come to work, recruit the best people to come be part of our team, give them the tools they need to be successful, help them work together, help them grow. And that's what I'm passionate about. I absolutely love that. And so I get to come to work and I, I have my dream job every single day. Thanks, John, for the question. So I think my and um, would be experiences. Um, traveling, being with my hubby, who's the great cook in the family, uh, being with friends and family, learning, challenging, always asking why. Uh, that's, that's my end, trying new things. Um, and how I ended up here was by accident. Uh, you know, I was in healthcare before this and in a great position and learning a lot. And I realized that in my life, and even as a little girl, I wanted to be the CEO of Disney. You know, not, that was my <laughs> dream job. Still hopeful Maybe one day. Maybe today, though. You never know. <laughs> uh, and it, it came down to, I want to be in a place that I can instill change and work with people that are passionate about what they do and that together, as a unit, we are making change in a better place, like Colorado. Um, and that's, that's how I got here. really was through chance. I think in my instance, my, <clears throat> excuse me, my and would be to help make the world a better place, leave it better than you found it, um, and using our business as a platform for doing that. You know, sure, I like the fun stuff too, but I'm sorry, I took the question into, well, what's the and about your business? Almost an extended purpose of your business. And aside from being great in the industry we serve, we have the ability through our efforts in serving customers to help make the world a better place. A perfect example of that is, is if you relocate somebody, it doesn't matter where, pick a China, Germany, they're gonna be more effective workers and co community contributors if in the process of their experience, they've had a good experience because relocating is a very difficult process and people are very vulnerable and um, and the first day they arrive in a new city where their new job is, um, they're absolute strangers. So our job is to kind of deliver peace of mind. And as we deliver peace of mind, if those folks become more productive, if they're more integrated into their communities, ultimately what happens is they get into being volunteers in those communities sooner. Um, and whether they become a soccer coach or whether they become a music teacher or whatever, you know, these major corporations don't relocate bozos. They're relocating their, their best and brightest talent at various stages of their careers, granted. But so those people have a lot to offer. And if we do our jobs effectively, that offering is going to be more available more rapidly um, in their community. Thank you. Mary? Yeah, I think, I think my and is uh, empathy and human connection. Is a, is a really strong thing that you can use to, to do a lot of fun things. Um, you can use that empathy and connection to, 
to, to drive people to, to solve hard problems I never thought that they would ever be able to solve. You can use it to, to really deeply care about your customers and it, and it shows through in the way that you, that you build products for them and the way that you serve them. Um, and I've just found throughout my life that the, the, the times when I'm the most at ease and, and feeling like I'm working my best is when I have a strong like, connection and empathy with the people that I'm working with. Um, and, and the people that I'm just with, with my every day, and it makes all of us better people and more effective. Thank you. Thanks for the question. Uh, I don't see anybody else at the mic. Steve, come on up. Thanks. Uh, thank you all for being here. Dave, thanks for having a live one. This is a lot of fun. Um, Steve Kinsley with Kinsley Meetings. So Grant Thornton just published a, <coughs> excuse me, just published a, a report about employment. Uh, it, it reads that 21% of Americans changed jobs last year. 40% of those are now looking for new jobs already. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that and what you've experienced in the last year as far as turnover in your companies. In our instance, we've actually had our lowest level of turnover in any measurable previous periods. So typically we'd run 12 to 15% voluntary turnover. Last year we had about nine. We're constantly doing pulse surveys, fireside chats, uh, engagement surveys, uh, so we keep a pretty good pulse um, on the organization. And to the point about even the people who quit are already looking for new jobs, we've had some of that that attrited in the last two years. Now we've got the boomerang effect. And I think what the workforce now is looking for are, are kind of three essential ingredients in their employer. Um, and the first is, is really, is there empowerment there? You know, and empowerment then pivots off of that as flexible work schedules, right? And there's an interesting thing about empowerment because nobody ever empowered somebody they didn't trust. So the underlying environment of an empowering work environment is really one that begins on the basis of trust. And I have a choice every single day. Do I trust those thousand people working in 13 countries or don't I? And a long time ago, I just came to the conclusion, you better trust them. They're, you're going to get mistakes no matter what, but at least trust your, your teams. Um, aside from that, they want uh, kind of advancement opportunities. And, and the, you know, the shelf life of somebody staying in the same job for more than probably 18 months, um, that you have to have an opportunity for advancement. And underneath that, then there's different ways to advance, you know, uh, curriculum online, inside our own kind of Grable University. Uh, we encourage them to, if you want to get an MBA, go get an MBA, blah, blah, blah. So, um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to take, take privilege here and ask, uh, ask one last question of those who, who haven't spoken as much lately. So I'm going to start with you, Alejandra. Ha. So even, even the people who are great at what they do, who are the best at what they do, you know, without consistent reinforcement would sometimes fall short. So what do you remind yourself of when it comes to managing culture? You know, I think it starts with how would I want to be treated, right? What sort of recognition or acknowledgement would I want? Do you I say want? that to yourself like during the day? Do you ask yourself that question sometimes? Sometimes, yeah. I do, um, you know, because you're also working with individuals and everybody is different and how they want to be spoken to or how they want to be acknowledged is different. So I think meeting everybody where they want to be met, that is like one of the most important tools as a leader. And 
I'm working on that every single day. And I think even through COVID, it was an awakening for many people who had been probably in a job for a very long time and maybe didn't like it. And this is the chance, right? World, the world is changing and what's gonna happen next year? And so there was this mass exodus. And what I have found is because of some of our foundational great, you know, great follow through and taking care of our people, some of those folks have come back. Uh, and so I think sticking to that and, and meeting people where they want to be met. Yeah. Mary, what do you remind yourself of? Like during the day, you actually, it's in your head, you're reminding yourself about culture. Yeah, I, I'm often reminding myself, and, and you're going to hear a repeat here, but I'm, I'm often reminding myself of, of empathy um, and also reminding myself of how does this person want to grow? How do they want to get better? And, and to Alejandro's part, like, how do I meet them where they're at? And how do I, like, continuously push them um, to, to new heights? I think that, like, probably all of us have had this experience where all of us have done pretty well in our careers and, and it's because we're all pretty high performers and so there's that question of like where is the bar and and it's it, it's up here it's all the way up here uh, and how do I get people to it in a in a way that's tailored to them um, while being empathetic to like where they're at compared to where you want them to be I think my thing that I'm constantly reminding myself on is what's the pulse like, what is the pulse of my team at any given moment? And if I don't feel like I have a good grasp on that, I just got to get up out of my desk and go walk around. Go talk to people. How you doing? What's going on? What's, you know, you can see the, the look on their faces. You can hear the stories that are being told, you know, uh, around the office. You hear comments that are being made. And so I think that's all data and inputs that I'm continually mindful of. And, and if I don't feel like I have a, a good pulse on what's going on, to me, I don't have a good pulse of, of how our culture is evolving and living through every day. I think the one conscious thought that I have is really around, have I said thank you enough today? Um, and I do walk around, I don't walk around with that, but I mean, I, I am conscious and mindful of just about everybody I interact with. I have an ability and an opportunity and maybe a story to say thank you for something that they've done. And I think that's the other piece that workforces are looking for now is that recognition piece. And um, it's tough on Zoom uh, and emails and chat. Um, but, you know, small efforts go a long ways because the recipient of that message understands. And, and in the past, I may have been giving them a high five or a hug or, you know, something like that. But, um, just have adapted it to a different medium, I guess, at this point, yeah. and saying thank you. Well, thanks. Let's wrap on that note. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. Today on Proco 360, you've been listening to the Deliberate Culture episode with guests Bill Grable of Grable Companies, Alejandra Harvey of Tendit, Mary Moore Simmons of Agent Sync, and Anthony Lombados of Footers Catering. Thanks, everyone. Really appreciate it.